how we're going to pray. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, it's such a beautiful day. The sun's out and the weather's perfect, and we rejoice in this day that you've made for us. Jesus, you said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your names are recorded in heaven. Oh, Jesus, we rejoice. Our names are recorded in heaven. And every day of our lives, we get to live knowing that the best is yet to come. Pray without ceasing. We need you. That's why we're here. You know our needs meet our needs. As we open your word together, Holy Spirit, fall fresh. And, and may you use your word to win the lost and, and to build believers and to equip workers and multiply disciple makers so that disciple makers would be spread throughout our county because there are so many who need you. Lord, as we read your word together, may we be so excited about what we learn that we have to go and share it with others. Uh, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus, that's why we're here. We came today because we wanted to say thank you for saving us, and thank you for forgiving us, and thank you for giving us your spirit, and thank you for your word, and thank you for cars, and thank you for air conditioning, and thank you for friends. There is so much that we have to be thankful for. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, all right, uh, you ready for a test? Just what you thought you'd get, right? Three questions, three questions. You're smarter than the average congregation. You're probably going to do really well. But, but let me give you the three questions here, okay? Question number one, what percentage of people kept their New Year's resolutions in 2019? I mean, they started the year, they said, this is what I want to accomplish, and I'm going to share with you the options, and then you have to vote. You can't abstain. Do you think 2% did, 7%, or 51%? Now, how many of you believe that only 2% kept their New Year's resolutions in? You guys are very pessimistic about human nature, huh? <laughs> All right, now, how many of you would say 7%? All right, how about 51%? A little more optimistic about human nature, not too optimistic. <laughs> and the answer is 7%. <laughs> I mean, people started the year, right, with great intentions, but they, what, they ran out of gas through the year, right? Isn't that true? Like human, you know, effort alone won't get us, you know, all the way home. Now, the next question is even better. This is my, this is a really good question. Here's the next one. What percentage of gym memberships go completely unused? <laughs> they go, they pay their money, I'm going to get in shape this year. So what percentage, 12% uh, go unused, they never go to the gym. 46%, 67%. How many of you say 12%? Okay. You like to exercise, I can tell. Uh, what percent do you, th uh, how many would say 46%? Okay. Now, how many of you would say 67% never go? You know human nature, you do. Here's the right answer. Listen, 67% of the people. <laughs> they pay that money. That's how the gyms make money, that people pay and then they don't go. All right, now this next question's the most important one in them. Okay, here's the next one. What percentage of those Jesus seeks and saves does it get safely home? I mean, Jesus starts a work, 
Do you think he's like us and he just runs out of gas or loses interest along the way? So what percentage of those Jesus seeks and saves does he get safely home? Uh, it's 28%, 79%, 100%. How many of you are going with 28%? How many of you are going with 79%? Yes, I taught them well. I taught them well. So how many of you are going to go with 100%? Yes! Yes, way to go. Listen, when Jesus starts, that's what the purpose or the point of today's message is. Jesus finishes what he starts. Uh, Will you say that with me? Jesus finishes what he starts. Aren't you glad maybe you get discouraged? You think, I'm never going to make it? Listen, when Jesus starts to work in us, he never runs out of gas. He never loses interest. He finishes what he starts. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 and talk about finishing what you start. We started this book a few months ago, and today we're going to finish it. Uh, then we're going to take a week off, and then we're going to work through 2 Peter together. And <clears throat> I want you to know that the church was birthed in a hostile culture. And that's why we're doing this series. The church was birthed in a hostile culture, so we're walking through First and Second Peter to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. I met with so many in our church this week talking about the challenges they face following Jesus in our culture. That's why we're doing this to equip you. We'll start off with verse 9 where we left off last week, but resist him, the devil, Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world after you have suffered for a little while. Now, suffering has been a reoccurring word in the book of 1 Peter. Suffer, suffer, suffered 16 times. Some form of suffering is in these five chapters, that there is much suffering in this world. And, and listen, what we're learning is that we are loved and we suffer. They're both true. Because many of us say, if God loved us, he wouldn't let us suffer. And so we say, how can we be loved and how can we suffer at the same time? So we look at Jesus, right? And when we look at Jesus, was Jesus loved by his father? Was he? Yes. Did Jesus suffer? Yes. So we learn from our big brother that we are loved and will suffer at the same time. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace... Come on, smile. Please smile for me. Listen, what's our God? He's the God of all grace. Not just a little bit. He's the God of all grace. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's where we're going to spend most of today, that Jesus finishes what he starts in verse 10. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen through Silvanus, our faithful brother. Who is Silvanus? It's probably another spelling of Silas. You know, Silas, right? Paul and Silas, they're in prison together. Paul and Silas travel together, and Silas then would become a friend of Peter. Notice how he's identified as a faithful brother. Do you have faithful people in your life? Or do you thank them? Because they're so rare. And listen, wouldn't you want to be one? Wouldn't you want to be a faithful brother or sister to other? Wouldn't we stand out in our culture if we were faithful people? Because we can be, right? The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, right? 
Oh, man, what an opportunity to stand out for the right reasons by being faithful brothers and sisters. For so I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon. Um, if someone asks you, do you take the Bible literally, what would you say? If someone asks you, do you take the Bible literally, what would you say? Okay, I heard some yeses. So let me ask you a question. When you read verse 13, do you think this letter was written from a lady in Babylon? Do you? I, I don't. See, I take the Bible as literature. And there's many kinds of literature in the Bible. And I believe that the plain and simple meaning of a passage is the meaning. Let me explain. Peter is writing the letter. He's writing from Rome. He's using Babylon to describe Rome because Rome is a godless city persecuting Christians. And so he's saying the church, the church in Rome is writing to you, okay? So when we read a passage, the plain and simple meaning is the, is the meaning, and I'll show you as we move on how, how that's true. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you uh, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Let me ask you another question. Do you think Mark is his biological son? Do you? Do you? He, he's not. So who is Mark? Mark is John Mark. You remember Paul's first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas going together, and John Mark with, with, went with them, right? And then I think John Mark missed his mom or something, right? And so what? He, he left them, right? He went home. And so when Paul started his second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark with them. And remember, I mean, we try and make this, the apostles way too saintly. So what happened? What Paul and Barnabas got in this huge fight. You ever seen Christians fight? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen it? Paul and Barnabas fought, and they fought so badly that they split up, and Barnabas took John Mark. John Mark would then become a friend of Peter, and Mark would write the Gospel of Mark. And most people believe that the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel according to Peter that Peter told Mark about his experiences. So, I believe what's happening here is Peter and the church in Rome is writing this letter, and then it ends with, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace be to you all who are in Christ. Now, let's back back up to verse 10, and let's read some really good news. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. The Christian life is all about grace. It starts with grace. We make progress with grace. We finish with grace. Jesus finishes what he starts. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story because the Bible is a story. I'm going to tell you a great love story. It's the story of the Bible. It's your story. It's my story. And after I tell you the story, then we're going to back up and we're going to walk through the story theologically. The story. Long before you knew Jesus, he knew you. Long before he, you loved Jesus, he loved you. Long before you chose him, he chose you. When Jesus came into the world, it was for you. 
When Jesus resisted temptation, he was doing it for you. When he went to the cross, it wasn't for nameless, faceless people. As he hung on the cross and died, he did it for you and for me. And then he arose. And then Jesus loved us so much that he arranged our whole lives and he sent someone to share the gospel with us. And when they shared the gospel, he also sent the Holy Spirit, listen, to to raise us from the dead, to open our eyes, to unstop our deaf ears so that we could hear and believe and be saved. And when we believed and were saved, he moved in. He forgave all of our sins. He's promised to be with us every step of the way and to get us all the way home. It's all grace. Jesus finishes what he starts. And now I'm going to walk back and kind of uh, walk through it theologically. And you say, well, why are you going to do that? Were you reading with us this week as we read through 2 Timothy? Remember 2 Timothy chapter 4? Paul, it's his last letter. He's about to die. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season when people want to hear and out of season when they don't. Reprove, exhort, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Today, people say, I I don't like doctrine, it divides. Do you know the word there, doctrine, is didascalia, from which we get the word didactic? And you know what didactic means, what? Teaching. So what he's saying is they won't endure sound teaching, sound theology, sound beliefs, but wanting to have their ears tickle, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Don't tell us we're sinful. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about God's wrath. Tell us what we want to hear. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss, but you. Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. (laughs) I want you to know good news has many, many flaws. I mean, they even let me be the pastor. But I want you to understand something. We want to preach the word. We want to teach you sound doctrine. We want to equip you to do the work of an evangelist because that's why we're here. And so I'm going to teach you a theological vocabulary. So we're going to need to do something. We're going to have to put on our theological caps. Let's put on our theological caps. I found one for you, right? Let's get this, okay? I love theology. You know what that word means, don't you? Theo means what? God and logos means what? Study. Theology is the study of God. There was a time on universities where the queen of all the sciences was theology, the study of God. We get to gather together and study God, and I'm going to give you a theological vocabulary because I believe knowing this vocabulary will equip you, help equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. So these words are important. It starts with chosen, chosen. Back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Did you pick that up? In 1 Peter 5, uh, 13, she who is in Babylon, what? Chosen together. What is the church? It's a group of chosen people who come 
together. And what that means is, well, Smiley, didn't I choose Jesus? Sure you did. You did. But long before you chose him, he chose you. And you know when it was? Oh, you know when he chose you? This is so good. In Ephesians chapter 1, um, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That if you're in Christ, you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, you know what? I think we understand God blesses us, right? But notice how it starts that we, what? We bless God. How can we bless God? When we thank Him. When we make others, when we make much of Him and tell others about Him, we bless Him. But, but notice, He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Were you always the last one picked to tag? Were you the last one picked maybe in recess? No one ever. Listen, Jesus chose you to be His forever, and He did it before the world was even created. Isn't that cool? Listen, Jesus finishes what he starts. It starts in eternity past where he chose us to be in him before the foundation of the world uh, was even, uh, were even late. Then back to 1 Peter. Um, the next word I want you to understand is effectual calling. Effectual calling. In 1 Peter 5.10 uh, After you have suffered for a little while the God of all grace who called you it's an effectual calling. Jesus draws us to himself. What's that like? Well, it's not like this. Moms, it's not like your kid's playing in the yard and you say, dinner, and no one responds. So you go, dinner. That's not it. You know what it is like? Those same kids who can't hear your voice. The ice cream truck comes through the neighborhood, right? playing its music, and then they hear, right? They hear and they respond, right? They come in and say, Mom and Dad, give us some money for the ice cream. Um, if you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, what do you know? What do you know? It didn't, what, get there on its own. None of us would get to Jesus on our own. So Jesus sends someone to share, and he sends the Holy Spirit to draw us to him. Um, let me show you that in John chapter 10, verse 16. Talk about Jesus' heart. Here's his heart. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. It's so true. That's my story. I'm sitting in a car in St. Augustine, and a friend says, Hey, Smiley, why don't you come to Young Life? And you know, I heard the voice of Jesus, and I said yes. And I said, Why did I say yes? Why did I say yes? And then I went, and I went to cause trouble, but I heard the voice. As my Young Life leader shared the gospel, I heard Jesus calling my name because he was drawing me to himself. Isn't that encouraging us evangelists? <laughs> when we share the gospel, they don't hear our voice. It's the Spirit of God and the voice of Jesus drawing his people to himself. You know what it's like? You ever been in an airport? You're in an airport and you're walking on one of those people movers and you're just being, you're just being pulled along, right? And so it was exactly Jesus drew me to himself. Isn't that true of you? 
So listen, it starts in eternity past, the story we're chosen. Then Jesus, because he loves us, effectually draws us to himself. And, and now I'm about to give you a lot of big theological terms, okay? So I've, I've kind of arranged them for you on an umbrella, okay? Now I want you to know this is my umbrella of salvation. Because salvation is the whole deal. A lot of people think of salvation only as justification, and it's not. Listen, salvation to be saved is justification, it's adoption, it's sanctification, it's glorification, it's the whole umbrella. So, chosen, effectually called, we come to justification. So, Romans chapter 3, right? Oh, Romans 3, verse 23, for what? All of sin. Please hear that. For all of sin and falls short of the glory of God, there is teaching in our culture today that says only people of a certain sin, skin color are sinners. And the Bible says that's not true. What the Bible says is we could go to every country in the world no matter what color their skins are. And what we would find in those cultures are children who disobey their parents. We would find people in every culture who have sex outside of marriage. In every culture, we would find people who steal, who bear false witness. It is a universal problem and especially true of me. We have all sinned, crime after crime against God. And what we deserve is God's wrath. We deserve hell. That's the bad news. Now, here's the good news. Being justified as a gift. We're made right with God. Notice it's a gift by His grace. We don't work for it. It's given to us through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, that Jesus is God the Son who came to earth because our God is a God of all grace so that we could have justification as a gift whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propiti what? You know what that term means? It means to appease the wrath of God. That Jesus became our substitute to die on the cross to experience the wrath of God that we deserve. And we live in a culture that says, well, my God's not a God of wrath. Really? When you hear about a woman who's raped, when you see racism, when you see a child who's abused, how do you feel? Do you not feel what? Wrath? Don't you feel anger? Isn't there something inside of you that says, that's not right, that person ought to be punished, right? And if the response of sinful people to other sinful people is one of wrath, how much more it is the response of a holy and just God to sinners is one of wrath? Now listen carefully. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, doesn't it? So that means that any time anyone sins, God would be just to what? What? To strike them dead on the spot. But God's so gracious and so merciful, he doesn't deal with us every time we sin like we deserve. But there was a time he dealt publicly with sin as sin deserves, and it was on the cross. 
for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you want to know what the God of the Bible is like, look at the cross. And you see, God is just. Every sin ever committed will be punished, either in Jesus once for all or us in hell forever. But God's also the justifier. He came up with a plan so that we could be forgiven and not experience the wrath of God. And it was for Jesus to become our substitute, to die in our place, to experience the wrath of God. Don't we sing it in Christ alone, don't we? You know the song? That on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was, what? Satisfied. Jesus satisfied God's demand that sin be punished. And how do we know? How do we know? Because on the third day, what? He walked out of the grave. He walked out of the grave, and he offers us justification as a, as a free gift. You know what he offers us? He offers that we could give him all of our sins, and we would be forgiven. And he offers to give us his righteousness so that we could stand before God, not simply forgiven, but righteous. <laughs> isn't that the deal of the ages, isn't it? Have you ever made that exchange, your sin for his righteousness? <clears throat> Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We are made right with God by faith, and faith is to admit we're sinners. It's to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose. It's to commit to Jesus as Savior. Forgive me. Give me your righteousness. Give me eternal life. It's to commit to Jesus as Lord. I want you to lead. Man, when I heard that, is that like the greatest exchange ever? Let me get this clear. I can give you my sin and be totally forgiven. Yes. And you would give me your righteousness? so that from that moment on, my standing before God would be one of righteousness? Who would ever refuse that offer? Oh, if you've never taken him up on that offer, won't you do that? Man, you can do it right now where you are. Jesus, here's my sin. Give me your righteousness, won't you? If you need some help, I'd be glad to assist you when we, when we pray in just a few moments, okay? But I want you to understand, it starts with chosen, and then effectual call, and then justification. When we're justified, Jesus takes our sins, we're forgiven. Hallelujah. He gives us his righteousness. So from that moment on, our standing before God's not on our performance, but his. Um, justification. Now, what comes next? No, notice what comes next is adoption. Adoption. Now, I want you to know justification is a legal term. It's a legal term where God declares us righteous. Adoption is a family term. And the high point of our salvation, the high point is adoption. Because imagine this, a judge, you stand before a judge and he says, not guilty, that's amazing. But could you imagine him inviting you home for dinner? You get to eat with his kids. He gives you his name. He writes you into his will. gives you an inheritance. That's adoption. And so I'm going to read for you Three verses that tie adoption and sanctification and glorification together. In First um, John chapter 3, this is adoption. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. 
For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Not only does God declare us not guilty, he invites us home for dinner and calls us his children. <laughs> and, and that's why the Bible says that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit because the idea that we're children of God is so unimaginable for us that he gives us the Holy Spirit to, to cry out that we are children of God and we can call the Father, Father, and Jesus our big brother. Um, listen, justification, adoption. L let me show you the, the next big word, sanctification. The word sanctify means to set apart, to set apart. Let me show you that in 1 John. So we're children of God. And then in verse 2, we read, Beloved, now we are children of God. That's adoption, right? And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And what? E everyone. How many? Everyone who has this hope fixed on him. Everyone who believes that Jesus finishes what he starts, he purifies himself just as he is pure. That's sanctification. Sanctification is that when Jesus moves into us, his intention is not to change a few things. His intention is to change everything. Sanctification to me is like getting married. It is that I had an apartment when Karen and I got married, and uh, she came in. I had no idea what her intentions were. You know what she did with all my stuff? Not all at once, but you know what she did? Day after day, she took all my stuff. Wasn't much. Wasn't nice. You know what she did? She threw it all out. And you know what she began to do? She began to what? Bring all of her stuff into my house. So if you come to our house today, you will know that Karen lives there. You will. But you might not know that I live there. Wouldn't it be great if that were true of us with Jesus? That people could tell that he had moved in and they weren't sure whether we live there? Listen, when Jesus moved into me, I thought there were two or three things that I did that really bugged him. And he began to throw them out. But you know what? For, for, he's been doing this for over 50 years. He just keeps finding stuff and throwing it out. I mean, in the beginning, he threw out my language and stealing and lying and getting drunk and abusing drugs. He just started throwing all this stuff out, and he's still throwing stuff out. Let me ask you, when Jesus moved into you, what has he thrown out? What's he thrown out? What's he, what's he trying to get you to turn loose of today and throw out because he's in, and he's trying to throw out all the old? And you know what happened when Jesus moved in? He began to build in new things, things that were not there before. A love for Jesus, a love for one another, a love for... He's built so many... What's Jesus built into your life? How's your life different from before he moved in? You see, sanctification is Jesus throws stuff out and he builds new stuff in. And to help in this, he gives us the Holy Spirit. You know why he's called the Holy Spirit? Because he wants to make you holy. He wants to make you and I like Jesus. He's the one that helps loosen that stuff so we throw it out. He's the one who gives us a desire to follow after Christ. So chosen, effectually called, there's justification, there's, there's uh, adoption, there's sanctification, and then there's glorification. And glorification simply means that Jesus finishes what he starts. Did you hear that when we were reading 1 John? Did, did you hear that? <clears throat> Um, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know. I love that. We don't hope so. We don't feel. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. 
because we will see him just as he is. Jesus is coming back. One day, see, we're gonna, one day soon we're going to see him, and we're going to be made like him. We're going to be made perfect in body and spirit, and Jesus will have finished what he started in us. Did, didn't we see that? Didn't we see that back in 1 Peter? Didn't we read about glorification? Remember what we read? Ephesians, 1 Peter 5.10. After you have been called, suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory. Jesus finishes what he starts. So I've given you a huge theological vocabulary today. Chosen, effectually called, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. One last term, really, really important, union with Christ. Union with Christ. Um, let, Let me show you that. In verse 10, who called you to his eternal glory? What? In Christ. In verse 14, Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. I know you say, Smiley, I'm confused. You're always saying invite Jesus to live in us, invite Jesus to live in us. So, so is it that Christ is in us or is it that we're in Christ? Which is it? It's what? It's both. That's union with Christ. This doctrine is so important. We're united to Christ. And how do I explain it? Well, you have to be a Southerner to appreciate it. Really, I grew up in St. Augustine, and and back when dinosaurs roamed the planet, if you went into a a restaurant and you ordered tea, you know what it was? It was sweet. You know what else it was? It was iced. And then I go to Boston to run the Boston Marathon, and I order tea. You know what they bring me? It's hot. (laughs) And it's not sweet. And now, even in the South, you have to say sweet tea. And it's only in the Southeast. You get out of that, you'll say, do you have sweet tea? And they say, no, we don't have sweet tea. But you can put sugar in your tea. You can't. (laughs) If there's ice in the tea, you can't put sugar in it. All you make is a Christmas decoration. (laughs) It's true, you have them, right? You shake them and what happens? It all falls, right? Oh. I mean, if you're from the South, you know, right? You put the sugar in when it's hot. And there's a chemical reaction that happens. The tea and the sugar are united, and they cannot be separated. How do we know nothing or no one will separate us from the love of Christ? Because we are united to Him. Hallelujah. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Listen, he started it. He'll finish it. He will. Listen, isn't theology good? Isn't it good? Wow, chosen and effectually called and justified and adopted and and sanctified and glorified, and we're one with him. So, Uh, I want to give you an action step, which is really simple. I want you to stand firm in grace. Stand firm. Well, Smiley, where do you get these silly ideas? Well, sometimes right from the Scriptures. Did you pick it up when we read uh, verse 12, testifying that this is the true grace of God? Stand firm. So this week, I want you, in in a crazy culture where things change every day, that we stand firm in grace. And you say, How do we do that? We learn to preach the gospel to ourselves first and then to others. 
Uh, I'm continually preaching the gospel to myself because I've been walking with Christ for a long time and I know two things. First of all, I know that I am a great sinner. Can I get an amen for that? And then secondly, that I have a great Savior. Can I get an amen for that? I'm glad you were louder on the second than the first, okay? But you know what happens when I preach the gospel to myself over and over again that I am a great sinner and I have a great Savior? It helps me to do life humble and joyful. Isn't that a good way to live? I'm humble and joyful. When I think too highly of myself, which I often do, I remind myself what? That I am a great sinner. And when I feel like such a failure, I remind myself what? That I have a great Savior. Listen, preaching the gospel to ourselves, walking humbly and joyfully, helps us to walk in obedience. <laughs> when I preach the gospel to myself that I'm a great sinner and I have a great Savior, what is there about my life that would make me think that I could run my life better than Jesus? Hmm? You know why I follow him? Because he's a great Savior. He's wiser than me. You know what happens when I preach the gospel to myself that I'm a great sinner and I have a great Savior? It helps me to endure suffering. You say, how? When I preach the gospel to myself, I'm reminded that what I deserve is hell because I'm a great sinner. And if Jesus chooses me to, to, to go to Babylon for a time and suffer, I will never suffer as much in Babylon as I deserve to suffer in hell. Listen, our suffering in this world will never be equal to what we deserve because of our sin. So many Christians are so upset with God because they're saying, I'm not being treated the way I should. Man, I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. Aren't you? Isn't that what he's saying? After you have suffered for a little while, listen, you'll never suffer as bad as what you deserve, but you will suffer. The God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So I preach the gospel to myself. Listen, that, that I'm a great sinner with a great Savior. It helps me to be humble. It helps me to be joyful. And then I preach the gospel to others, and that helps me to be humble and, help, I mean, humble and helpful. When we preach the gospel to others, we're humble and helpful. Um, anybody heard about uh, Urban Meyer this week? Anybody hear about him? I had so many conversations with people. And you know what people say? Smiley, how could he be so stupid? And you know how I responded? Oh, man. I ask Jesus every day. I ask Jesus every day to keep me from wrecking my life. And you know what people say? Oh, no. You're a Christian. You're, you're a pastor. I said, yeah, you know what that means? It means I recognize that I am a great sinner and I have a great Savior and I need Jesus every day of my life to keep me from wrecking my life. There's so many opportunities around us to share the gospel. Do you, do you think this week that, that you'll be with anyone who will talk about a struggle in their life? They'll say, man, marriage is so hard. Why not say, me too, me too? You know what I've learned about myself? I've learned that I'm a great sinner. And you know it's hard for two sinners to live together in the same house. But I have a great Savior. I have a great Savior. And what I've learned with two sinners with a Savior, they can live together. Would you like to know more about Jesus? Oh, or maybe this week. Maybe this week. I know I have conversations all the time. But finally, the, the country's so divided. The world's so broken. It is. So what do you think the problem is? 
Ask them, listen. Well, what do you think the solution is? If they ask you back, you know, why is our world so broken? Respond like I would. Listen, I'm broken. The reason the world's messed up is I mess up. Oh, no, it's not you. Yes, I am. We're all sinners. If they ask me the solution, I'd say that Jesus, listen, Jesus is putting me back together. There's no problem in our culture he can't put back together. You've been taught. You have the Holy Spirit. You can share the gospel with others and you can be humble and helpful. I have a new hero, maybe a heroine. Her name is Amy. We had her funeral yesterday. I met her a few months ago. She emailed me and wondered if she could come in and plan her funeral with me. She bought a home in Andalusia uh, last year, and the day she bought her home, she found out she had terminal cancer. The lady who came into my office knew she was dying, and she was humble and joyful because she stood firm in grace. And she said, if Jesus heals me, that's great, and if not, it gets even better. You know what she spent her last year doing? Sharing the gospel with others. She knew she was dying, she, um, and she didn't waste her cancer, but she would bring friends and tell everyone about Jesus, saying, listen, I'm going to heaven, and I want you to go with me too. She showed me what it looks like to stand firm in grace. To stand firm in grace means that we live humble, joyful lives by preaching the gospel to ourselves and that we're humble and helpful toward others by pointing them toward Jesus. Oh, dear people, do you want to have a great week? Then smile a lot and remember, Jesus finishes what he starts. He started it. He's going to finish it. Let me encourage you this week. Stand firm. Stand firm in grace. Preach the gospel to yourself and others. Be humble and joyful yourself. And be humble and helpful to others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to seek and save sinners. And thank you for promising us that, that if we ask you to start the work, we can trust you to finish it. Listen, maybe you're here and you've never made the deal of the ages, the exchanges, exchange of the ages, but won't you? I mean, Jesus is here. Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose and I want to give you my sins and I want you to forgive me and I want you to give me your righteousness, won't you? Give me eternal life. I want you to be my Savior. And I want you to be my Lord. Help me be the person you want me to be. <laughs> if you've made the exchange of the ages, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have put our faith in you that we would leave here rejoicing that the work you've started in us, you'll finish it. Chosen, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, glorified, united to Christ, nothing or no one will separate us from your love. And Lord, this week as we go out into a crazy world that's, that's always pushing us in different directions, may we stand firm in grace. May we preach the gospel to ourselves. May we be humble and joyful. And oh Lord, may we share the gospel with others. May we be humble and helpful toward others. Oh Lord, there's a few months left. 
what would it be like this year if all of us had the joy of introducing a friend to Jesus? For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.